Praise God, amen. I was actually brought up both west and south side, uh, but I did more of my crazy stuff in the west side. <laughs> Hallelujah. Very excited uh, that you are here uh, today, especially if you are a visitor. Amen. We're extremely excited that you are here. Amen. I am going to be sharing uh, parts of my testimony this morning, but I do want to preach not just on my testimony, amen, but I do want to believe God, amen, for conversions, amen, this morning, people to get radically converted, amen. We do have a great number of visitors, and I believe God is going to meet with us, amen. Matthew 27, as I said, uh, Friday night, you know what, it's great honor, amen, those of you that are wondering where Pastor Ruby is, it's a great honor for me to be able to stand behind this pulpit and, uh, and be able to preach, amen, to this congregation, and so um, we want to believe God, amen, this morning. I want to preach a sermon called Dead Man Walking. And I want to believe God, amen, for radical conversions, amen, this morning and also tonight. Um, out of Matthew 27, we're going to begin in verse 46. This is Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ as he's being crucified on the cross. Hallelujah. Verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there, when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elijah. Straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let him be. Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose came out of the graves after his resurrection went into the holy city and appeared unto many let's pray father we so humbly come before you this morning god god we pray god for the power of the holy ghost and this morning god the service uh, the anointing that breaks the yoke of sin and bondage god uh, God, we ask that you break every stronghold, Father, that you set the captives free this morning. Addictions would be broken, uh, hearts would be healed. Uh, God, we pray, God, um, that this altar would be filled, God, with decisions, God. Um, God, we also pray, God, let no flesh, Father, this morning boast in your presence, God. Um, you alone are worthy, and God's people said, um, Amen. How many understand, Amen, this morning that we're living in the last days? And beloved, amen, there's a, you know, we're, we're experiencing all kinds of crazy things that are taking place right now. You know, we know that the, the world itself, the earth is in, in self-destructive mode. Um, and, uh, but you know what, I want to I wanna, uh, draw your attention to something because I believe there's a great, great assault against the gospel of Jesus Christ um, in this day and age that we live in. And I'm not talking uh, about gangs this morning. Um, I'm not talking about, uh, about uh, homosexuality. Um, I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol. Uh, but one of the things that I do believe that's, that's assaulting uh, and that is, uh, you know, just degrading uh, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, is religion. Religious people, beloved, um, there's a great assault uh, against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that this morning um, is that, you know what, uh, more and more uh, churches uh, are, are, are drawing far away from conversions and just believing God for a good, feel-good time. 
And uh, more and more churches today, especially in San Antonio, we're stepping into these mega churches um, that, uh, you know what, people are satisfied, pastors uh, and other people are satisfied with just chairs being filled, uh, no longer contending for conversions, no longer contending for people to get radically saved, uh, for people to come in a service uh, as a drunk, uh, as a wife beater, uh, as an adulterer, uh, and to bow their knees and to walk out and say, you know what, I once was blind, but now I can see uh, no longer people contending uh, for people to say, you know, I was once lost, uh, but thank God now I'm found. Uh, beloved, more and more today our churches are getting filled uh, with just religious people. More and more, as we look, more and more people come in wearing a suit and carrying Bibles. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I saw, at least in the west side of San Antonio, sinners don't carry Bibles and they don't wear suits. They carry cuarterones early in the morning. You can go, I can assure you right now, you can go to my family's house uh, and you'll find my uncles with a quart of beer in their hand right now, far away from the Bible. And I want to help you this morning uh, to believe for powerful conversions. You know that in this city there's demoniacs? There are people that are bound in this city. There's families that are struggling. It might be even your neighbor, beloved. They're hooked on drugs. They're messed up. They're selling their belongings. They're selling their own children. They're doing anything they can because they're so bound. They have no hope in their life. We need to believe God for powerful, powerful conversions. Amen. This morning, there's an old story that I like to use. I believe Ray Fallon told me this story when we had a Bible study in the South Side. I'm not sure, but we'll give him the credit this morning morning um, but the story goes like this it's about this guy you know he was a little kid and he went to a Baptist church and uh, you know he's a uh, he goes uh, to this church and he has a cat and this cat ends up having little kittens and so you know this little eight-year-old boy he calls uh, he calls his pastor 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 he says you're not gonna believe what happened uh, a miracle has taken place in our church uh, and the pastor says really what happened he says uh, my cat just had Baptist kittens and the preacher's like, uh, there's no such thing as Baptist kittens. He says, no, for real, pastor, it's a miracle. Come, come and look at the kittens. Uh, and so, you know, this Baptist preacher hangs up the phone um, and he calls uh, a Pentecostal preacher that he's always, uh, you know, just kind of always arguing about who's got greater miracles. Uh, and so he says, listen, man, a miracle took place in my church today. Uh, he says, really, what happened? He says, one of my boys uh, has a cat and it just had Baptist kittens. The Pentecostal preacher says, man, you done flipped your mind, man. There ain't, there ain't no such thing as Pentecostal kittens. And so he says, no, why don't you come and look at them with me? So sure enough, they go to the church. There's the young boy. He's got the cat, the little kittens. Um, and he says, okay, son, why don't you let this Pentecostal preacher know what kind of kittens those are? The little boy, you know, he's kind of embarrassed. He puts his head down. He says, well, uh, pastor, he says, they're, um, they're Pentecostal kittens. He says, What? Three days ago, you told me they were Baptist kittens. He says, but pastor, three days ago when they were born, they were blind and now they can see. <laughs> How many know there's a difference between religion and just and getting radically converted? That beloved amen, one of the things that we need to contend for, beloved, is our eyes to be open. Can you say Amen. To help us realize that, you know what, we're sinners and we need the grace of God uh, this morning. You know, people uh, are always asking me if I saw anything when I died. And uh, they come to me, you know, and they want to come tell me about their religious experiences. Um, you know, it's amazing how many people have died and, and been brought back to life. It's a very common thing with the technology that we have today. 
And, uh, you know, I get a lot of people that come up to me and tell me uh, about their experience. Uh, some of them are, you know, are religious uh, people. They come up to me. Uh, yeah, I died. And, uh, and, and as I was did, uh, I was in the ninth heaven. Um, and uh, I was walking with Jesus. Um, and uh, we were walking. And the streets were gold. Uh, and, uh, and we were walking. And I smelled the tree uh, that had many fruits. Um, and, uh, and I hear all these crazy things, you know, about how they were in the ninth heaven with Jesus. And maybe you did have that experience that experience that's great um, but I usually tell them the same thing now that you're back on earth with the rest of us uh, what are you gonna do for God now now that you're back on earth with the rest of us what are you gonna do beloved to help God uh, bring people into his kingdom because if we're not careful how many know we can live off of religious experiences and we need to believe God for radical conversions beloved uh, you know I was in Florida in, uh, last March and as I was there uh, we're having a powerful revival, man. It's just blown out, uh, standing room only. I mean, incredible, incredible revival. Um, one of the nights, this young Puerto Rican kid shows up, uh, and he's got a, a, a ponytail of dreadlocks. He walks in, and he walks in with eight other uh, teenagers. And so they sit down in the front row. I'm in the back standing up. Uh, and in the middle song service, uh, this young Puerto Rican kid gets up, he goes to the back, uh, and he tells me, Sir, are you the, the evangelist? I said, Yes, I am. He says, uh, he says, Listen, I need to confess something to you. I said, uh, Bro, we're in the middle of song service. Why don't you, you know, wait till after service? He says, No, I don't know why, but I feel I need to do it now. I said, Okay. I said, What's going on? He says, uh, You know those eight kids that walked in with me? I said, Yeah. He says, They think I'm Jesus. I said, Okay. Um, as in Christ? And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, they think I'm Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, uh, for the past three months, I've been taking them to the park. I've been reading them scriptures. Uh, I've been telling them about the word of God and the miracles of God. Uh, and they really believe that I'm Jesus Christ come back in the flesh. I said, all right, man. Uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you sit down? We'll hear the word of God. Uh, and I'll pull an altar call and we'll see if they get saved. Uh, and then we'll tell them you're not Jesus after service, okay? And so he says, yeah, no problem. So he comes, uh, he sits down. I preach a simple message that morning uh, or that night. Uh, I pull an altar call to see if people want to get saved. Every one of those teenagers, all eight of them, lifted their hands to get saved. Uh, even Jesus. <laughs> he lifted his hand up. And I told the church, I said, you know this is revival, man, when Jesus gets saved. <laughs> and so... And so I, I prayed for him. I felt the need to pray for him. And so as we begin to pray for him, this young man begins to shake him. He begins to speak with a very, very uh, 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 hard, manly voice. Uh, you know, he's 15 years old. Um, and so all of a sudden, me that he just stops. He's looking around him. Like if he woke up from a dream. I said, you know what? I want to speak to you after the service. So I call him up. Um, I said, uh, tell me a little bit about your past. He says, listen, I was brought up in church. My parents are, are Pentecostal, uh, uh, are backslidden Pentecostal preachers. He says, and you know, I remember being a young kid, three or four. He says, and I remember my dad uh, would allow all kinds of weird preachers to come in and preach the gospel in our church. Uh, they used to roll, uh, they used to bark, uh, they used to fly, uh, they used to run, dance. They did all kinds of weird things in our church. They would vomit. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, I remember all that. And right there as he's saying that to me, God spoke to me that what I cast out of that young man was a religious demon. 
that because his parents didn't have enough sense, this pastor didn't have enough sense to be careful of who he let preach behind the pulpit, beloved. Uh, all kinds of weird things latched on to his children uh, and his church. You know, you really ought to thank God for our fellowship, that we don't just allow any kind of freak to come back, back here and preach the gospel. We're a little freaky, but not that freaky. Next day, I'm in service, and a young man comes and taps me. And I turn around, and I said, um, I said, uh, can I help you? He says, uh, you don't remember me? And I said, no. He says, I'm Jesus. And I look at this young kid. He shaved his head. He cut his dreadlocks. He was wearing a long sleeve shirt and a tie. And he walked in with 22 other teenagers. And that day, they all got saved. Then Friday night, he walks in with an older couple. And uh, they sit down, and then after service, I pull an altar call again, uh, and this older couple gets saved. And he brings me this older couple. At the end of the service, he says, Pastor Roman, these are my backslidden parents. Uh, they got saved on Friday night of that revival, beloved. They were backslidden for eight years, backslidden pastors, uh, and they got radically saved and converted. Uh, and today, you can go to that church and find these people in that church. Uh, that's the power of conversions. Can you say amen? That's what we need to believe God for. Uh. in our services you see do you still believe in conversions do you still believe that people can get radically saved do you still believe that God is the God that touches the untouchable because I want to tell you this morning um, you're looking at someone beloved that was declared dead twice at the age of 15 I'm partying out at some friend's house and as I'm there partying out uh, we began to, to get uh, you know real violent how many know Mexicans like to get violent when they drink and so I'm 15 years old. Um, we're playing quarters with liquor and drinking, chasing down beer. We're, you know, getting all radical. Uh, and uh, I begin to fight with one of my friends. As I'm fighting with him, um, his girlfriend jumps in. I begin to beat her up. Her friend jumps in. I begin to beat her up. Now I'm beating up all three of them. They get up uh, and they run out of the house. Uh, and uh, he lived in the corner house. And so I'm chasing these three people down the street. Um, and uh, as I get to the house, they run inside the house and I'm pounding on the door. And I'm trying to break this door to get inside. Um, and so uh, obviously, you know, I can't. So the father looks through the window to see who's outside. As he looks through the window, uh, I punch him through that window. And as I punch him through the window, um, when I pulled my arm out, uh, I cut my arm completely in half. And so... I take two steps back, and the moment I do, my skin and my meat comes undone. I grab a hold of my armor, and within seconds, I'm in a puddle of blood. Blood um, is, uh, is falling all over the place, um, and uh, by this time, they're calling the paramedics. Uh, when the paramedics get there, beloved, I'm already unconscious, but I can hear everything that's going on around me. I remember I'm going down in the ambulance and I can hear one of the paramedics. He's saying, you know what, we're losing him. We need to hurry up. We're going to lose this kid. He's dying. And I can remember hearing the, the heartbeat, uh, uh, the machine that keeps your heart uh, beat. Uh, and all of a sudden, I heard this guy say, we lost him. And I heard that machine just go flat rate. Uh, and uh, to my understanding, what they did um, was uh, that they put a plastic bubble, the body sheet, over my body. Um, and uh, it's like a body suit. And they pumped it with air. Uh, and this air pressure uh, allowed the remaining blood that I had to come back to my heart and to my brain. And so they had declared me uh, dead for over five, uh, six minutes. 
By the time I got to the hospital, they, they uh, gave me what they call a DOAs, uh, did on arrival. Uh, and because of this bodysuit, they were able to bring me back to life. I remember waking up from that scene and uh, my mom bringing a, a, a Pentecostal preacher's wife in. And her, uh, you know, just beginning to tell me about Jesus, trying to get me to understand about Jesus. And I remember, I remember, you know what, just being very angry and upset, you know, at this point in my life, you know, I shared with you how I had already lost my father at the age of 11, lost him to a heroin overdose. And, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I've shared, you know, um, uh, this is the first time I've ever said it in front of my mom, but uh, I, I shared with you how, you know, my own mother, she spoke into my face and she said, you know what, you're the biggest mistake of my life. She said, you know what, I regret ever having you. And, uh, you know, just feeling that inside of my heart, uh, you know, just feeling dead and empty. How many know, you know, you don't have to be six feet under to be dead? There are people can say words to you that will kill you and destroy you. You know, I was, she was reading my flyer the other day and she, she, she called me on the phone. She said, uh, she said uh, uh, you know, Roman, it, you, uh, you weren't 21 when I told you those words. You were 15. <laughs> I said, Mom, you told me those words several times. I just remember the one when I was 21. Nevertheless, this lady, as they're walking out of this room, I remember her just speaking these words into me. She said, I'm going to tell you why the devil wants that arm. She said, because one day it's going to lay hands on the sick for God. I was 19 when I'm partying out again at a friend's house. And, uh, you know, when, uh, we went to school with, uh, with Emilio Navaira and, and, and Rabolito. And so uh, we're partying out there in front of Rabolito's house. And, uh, you know, we begin to get violent. We're fighting over drugs. And uh, as we begin to fight, you know, I, my friend was real short and small, and so I beat him up pretty quickly. And, and so he went inside. Uh, he grabbed a kitchen knife, the biggest kitchen knife he could find. And so as I... As I reach down, you know, to get my beer, I'm not even aware that he has a knife in his hand. Uh, and as I reach down to get my beer, he comes behind me and he stabs me. He stabs me half an inch away from my heart, through my lung. He pulls this knife out. Um, he stabs me a second time in my stomach. He pulls a knife out again. He's going for a third time. We begin to fight. We begin to wrestle over this knife. Uh, and uh, they put me in a, in, in a vehicle. They threw me in the back seat of this vehicle. They take me to the hospital. Uh, they leave me there at this hospital, beloved. Uh, and once again, at the age of 19, uh, they uh, uh, declared me dead for over five minutes. I remember the nurse telling me, you know what? Uh, you really ought to thank God for your life. You've been given a second chance to live. You know, at this point in my life, the age of 19, I was already a pretty messed up kid. At this point in my life, I had already been shot in the head. I got shot when I was 16 with the 22. This bullet ricocheted out of my head. There in the west side of San Antonio by my own cousin, I was sharing with the students uh, 
in the schools how my own cousin shot me with the 45 here in the side I'm a heroin junkie I'm living out in the streets you know at this point in my life uh, you know uh, and, and you know my, uh, my mom doesn't even she's finding out a lot of this stuff today but you know uh, I live <laughs> I lived under a bridge And, uh, you know, uh, here, here I am at the age of 21, and I, I become a pit fighter. And, and my life has reduced, beloved, down to nothing. And I become a, a pit fighter for the Mexican mafia. And one of the things that I, that I begin to do is I begin to fight for money. One of the things that they would do is they would take us out uh, to, these, uh, to these farms um, out here in the outskirts of San Antonio. Uh, and they would dig holes in the ground. Uh, and, uh, you know, they would fight roosters. Uh, then they would fight dogs. Uh, and then they would fight us. At the age of 21, beloved, my life has reduced down to absolutely nothing. And I remember this, uh, you know, just very clearly. I remember being, uh, you know, at the age of 25, I'm so desperate. I'm so, I'm so messed up. And at the age of 25, uh, I remember very clearly just, uh, you know, having a, a large amount of drugs, uh, you know, having two brand new packs of syringes, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm shooting up like I've never shot up before. Uh, I begin to party out on a Thursday night. Uh, Thursday night, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, down what you call into a lockdown, uh, and uh, I'm partying out in this room, and then Friday night comes, uh, I'm still shooting up, uh, I still haven't slept, uh, I still haven't, uh, you know, changed my clothing, uh, I still haven't bathed, uh, Saturday night comes around, um, still haven't slept, I'm still in the same clothes, uh, and on Saturday night, um, I filled up the syringe with most that I had ever put into a syringe and I shot this drug into my vein and I remember you know what very clearly just this drug beginning to come out of my mouth uh, beginning to drip out of my nose uh, and I, my ears popping so loud that it knocked me down to the ground uh, and I remember beloved crawling uh, and making my way to a restroom and as I'm in the restroom I'm under this cold water uh, and I begin to cry out to God for the first time in my life uh, since 14 years when I had lost my dad and I'm in this cold water beloved uh, and I'm crying out to God and I said God uh, I said if you can change me uh, the way you changed my mom then change me see my mom got saved three years before me she got radically converted my mom, uh, you know, uh, uh, had a drinking problem. She, she uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, obviously raising a single mother, all kinds of issues and things that would took place there. Uh, but I saw her life change, beloved. Uh, and here was a woman that spoke very harsh words into my life, uh, now trying to reach out uh, and trying to get me to serve God. And I remember many times just laughing at her and mocking her uh, because she had uh, Bible studies and all these weird things at her house. Uh, and I remember just thinking, man, that church just wants your money, man. Uh, and and, uh, and just remembering every single word that she used to tell me. She used to tell me, you know what, son, Jesus loves you. He's going to change you. Uh, I've been praying for you. Uh, and there I am sitting under that cold shower, and that's the only thing I can remember. I said, God, if you can change me the way you changed my mom. I said, God, I'm so ready to be changed. And I remember just, you know what, that next day I'm there. I'm on my way to church. I have a quart of beer in my hand at 8 o'clock in the morning. I still haven't slept. I'm going with four days without sleeping. My eyes are about this big. They're bloodshot red from all the coke. I have a bag of marijuana in my pocket. 
I'm on my way to church. We get to the church parking lot, uh, and here in the east side of San Antonio, and as I'm there in the church parking lot, uh, I said, you know what, just go ahead and go inside. Uh, I said, I'm going to finish my quart of beer. I'm going to smoke a joint, uh, and then I'll be inside for the church service. And so, uh, you know what, uh, I, I just remember just going into the church service, and I remember the first thing that happened as I step in is I noticed that the church is filled with nothing but black people. And at that time, I was very prejudiced. I'm not no more. Pastor Todd was my best man in my wedding, so I got delivered from that. <laughs> and I remember walking in and thinking, where in the world did they bring me? I was brought up in jail, brought up in the west side, taught to just stick to my own kind. There was no black people where I lived in the west side. And so as I step in this church, I'm looking uh, and I'm looking and on, I'm thinking, where did they bring me? And as I'm looking, one of the ushers comes and grabs my hand. Uh, and as he grabs my hand, I grab him and I push him against the wall. I said, you get your hands off of me. He says, hey, you can sit wherever you want, man. Ain't nobody going to bother you here. And I remember sitting all the way in the back. And I remember the song service starting. And all of a sudden, uh, the song service leader looks to the back and makes eye contact with me. And I thought, oh no. Leaned over and I said, if anybody comes up to me, I'm going to knock them out. Just behave yourself. You're in church. I said, I don't care where I am. And as I'm speaking, this person gets off the platform and begins to walk to where I'm at, in the middle of song service. And I begin to close my fist, I cock my chest, and I say, that's it, they're going down. This is what I'm thinking in my mind. And as they're walking and they're getting closer and closer to me, something happened to me, this overwhelming presence began to come over me. All of a sudden, my hands opened up. My head fell to the ground, and for the first time, beloved, in 14 years, I'm weeping like I've never wept in my life. Tears are coming out. I can't even open my eyes. I can't even look, and I felt somebody grab my hand and say, Son, today is your day. The Lord has need of you. Got me from my hand and began to walk me down to the altar, and I want to tell you, I was weeping as I'm walking. Uh, all I can see is balls of fire, yellow and red fire, shooting into my eyes. My knees are shaking. My hands are shaking. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know if it's the drugs. Uh, I don't know what's happening. I don't know anything about church. Uh, and as I come to the front, they just ask me, do you want to accept Jesus in your heart? Uh, and I said, yes. Uh, and they led me into this prayer. And in the halfway through this prayer, beloved, uh, I busted out in tongues. Uh, Shandala, sandayanda. I mean, just loud, man. The entire church jumped to their feet. Uh, they're, I mean, pray. I don't know if you've seen black people praise God, but they can praise God, man. Uh, and so they, they jumped to their feet man uh, and you know what they thought the devil got saved that morning that was June 13 1995 I walked out of that service beloved uh, never again to pick up another drug I didn't need rehab I didn't need uh, methadone to get me off of heroin I didn't need a psychiatrist I didn't need programs beloved I didn't need anything the only thing I needed was to bow my knee to Jesus uh, and to admit that where I was in life at that point I had put myself at the age of 25 I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ that's over 10 years ago beloved uh, and my life was radically radically converted uh, see that can still happen today we can still believe God for conversions you know, back when I was a door director here, 
I shared this story before, but there's a, a, a better part to it now that I want to share now and finish it off. Um, but when I was a door director here, I, I became a, a lineman. I used to hang telephone cable for a living here. And one of the things that I would do is I would put hooks, and I used to climb these poles and hang telephone cable. And so uh, on my very first day, I'm in the truck with my foreman, and, uh, and, and my foreman's uh, Rick Reels, um, and then uh, the guy in the middle is Corey and me. We're the two helpers. Um, and Corey begins, not Corey guards, another guy. Corey begins to roll a joint. And he says, hey, you want to smoke a blunt? And I said, no, bro. I said, uh, I don't smoke uh, anymore. I said, I'm a born-again Christian, man. I said, uh, matter of fact, I'm called to preach the gospel. And he looks over to me. He says, you're a born-again Christian? And I said, yeah. He says, dude, you look like the devil. I said, well... <laughs> I don't care what I look like, dude. I said, I'm saved, man. I love God. He says, man, you look pretty rowdy. All right, so there's my open door. Well, you know what? As a matter of fact, I said, I used to be very rowdy. I began to explain the pit fighting. I began to explain all the things that have happened to me. And in the middle of that, Rick Reels, the driver, he leans over and he says, shut up. He says, I don't want to hear anything about God in this truck. And so, you know, I leaned over to him. I said, well, I'm not talking to you, man. I'm talking to him. <laughs> and so I finished telling him my testimony, and I'm speaking to him. Um, and then we get to the job site, and Rick Reels gets off of the truck. He comes over to my side, and he opens my door. I said, well, finally, man, some respect here, man. And so, you know, I step out of the truck. The moment I put my foot on the ground, Rick rails me. He popped me right here in the side, right under my ear. Knocked me to my knees, man. This dude was six foot two. Solid, massive man. I'm on my knees and tears are coming out. You know, partly because it hurt. <laughs> he was a big guy. The other part, because everything in me wanted to rip this guy's heart out. And as I get out to my feet, Corey looks at me and he's there like, okay, let's see what this Christian's going to do. And so I look at Rick and I said, you know what, bro? I said, that's not what I'm about anymore. I said, I don't have anything I need to prove to you. And so I walked away. As I walked away from him, uh, he blows me a kiss. He tells me, Masota. The hair in back of my neck stood up, man. Let me tell you a little bit about Rick Reels. Rick Reels was married. He had three little girls, uh, but he also liked to go out with men. Yeah, he was a bicycle. I'm sorry, a, a bisexual. <laughs> and so since that day, in his mind, okay, in his mind, let's not get any crazy ideas, in his mind, I became his girlfriend because I refused to fight. So he put it upon himself that he was going to torture me every day. And so for about three months, this guy, we're at work and he'll just come up to me and he would just kind of rub on me. One day, I'm six feet in the air, I'm on hooks, and I'm about to climb this pole to work, and he comes behind me, and he grabs me. And again, the hair in the back of my neck just stood up, and I started making my way down. I grabbed my utility knife. I'm going to cut this dude's throat. I remember, I'm door director. And as I'm pulling my knife out, Corey turns the corner. And I said, oh, man, I put my knife back. <laughs> I said, don't you ever touch me like that again, man. 
And I walked away. And as I walked away again, he blows me a kiss. He says, you're going to be mine before you know it. I went to Pastor Ruby. At this point, about three months of this, every day, he's just, I mean, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm showing up at home in tears. My wife is watching me cry. I mean, this is torment. And, uh, and as, uh, I, I come to prayer, and I talk to Pastor Ruby in the office. I said, Pastor, I said, this guy, I said, I don't know what to do no more. I said, I, I just know I'm going to lose my testimony. I said, this guy, he's already hit me. He's grabbed me uh, every day. He's just throwing me kisses. He's touching me, all kinds of crazy things. I said, Pastor, what do I do? He says, Roman, whatever you do, can't hit this guy. He says, because the devil knows your past. He knows your testimony. You're about to get sent out. Uh, he says, you know what? Uh, you never know, man. Uh, Corey might get saved. I want to tell you, I left his office more vexed than I was when I walked in. Because I was hoping, you know what? Uh, he would say, hey, uh, that's it, man. What are you waiting for? Not, you know, Jesus said, turn one cheek. You know, not two, you know, to... <laughs> So I go, I go to, hopefully they didn't get that on video. <laughs> so I go to work that day. It's a Thursday. I'm 30 feet up in the air on hooks. I'm strapped around this pole and I'm working. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up on one of those hydraulic buckets. And as I'm working on this pole, this guy slams this thing into me and pins me to the pole. And so I'm hanging on with one arm, I'm pinned up, and he's ramming this thing into my back and my shoulder. In the middle of that, he sticks his tongue in my ear. And he begins to wiggle it. <laughs> he begins to scream at me, he says, tell your Jesus to save you now. And he's cramming this thing into my back and I'm screaming for my life I'm 30 feet up in the air I said Rick let me go please bro let me go you're gonna kill me man and so the guys in their bottom are screaming you want to fight man come down we'll fight you leave them alone they let me down got prayed for that night got healed no big deal the next morning we're there at our workshop and every Friday we had a meeting that Friday morning, my boss said, uh, he said, listen, from now on, we're sending Rick Reels to Houston permanently. We're going to keep Roman and Corey together. And I said, yes. About four months of this guy's torment. And so I came home. I told my wife we had an awesome, awesome weekend. Uh, I go back to work Monday morning. We're having a surprise meeting. My boss says there was a change of plans. We're going to keep uh, Roman and Rick together now permanently. Instead, we're going to send Corey out of town. Right there, my heart just dropped. And I said, you know what? I'm sorry, man. I can't do this. I went to the shop, and I grabbed a dagger. I put it in my boot. I went to the restroom, and I knelt down right there in the middle of that restroom, locked the door, and I began to cry out to God. I said, God, I'm sorry, but I can't take this no more. If this guy touches me, just even speaks to me, I'm going to kill him. And I'm dead, dead serious. And so we go to work that morning. We're coming down 1604. 
he's going about 80 miles an hour and he turns over to me and he says man Roman you're gonna hate me man I'm thinking dude I can't stand you I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> you know up until this point me and my wife were fasting that I mean God would fire him kill him whatever you know we didn't even <laughs> we didn't even care no more you know and so we're going down I said why why am I gonna hate you Rick what what he says dude I committed adultery on my wife this weekend I said well that's too bad bro he says nah she'll never find out I said well she might not ever find out but you know what you just cursed your marriage you just cursed your children you just cursed your finances and this guy has pictures of his little girl little girls all in the truck and so when I said you cursed your children man he got ticked he leans over and says what do you mean I cursed my children and I'm ready to fight and I said, yeah, dude, your children are cursed, man. They're cursed for life. And he's driving and he slams on the brakes in the middle of 1604. This big old truck is just shaking. He's pulling this thing over to the side and I'm thinking, it's on. I just told him his children are cursed. Uh, and so I reach over to grab the, the dagger. As I reach over, the truck stops and I'm coming around. I'm going to stab this dude's neck. As I'm coming around with this dagger, he looks over to me. He's weeping. He says, Roman, will you pray with me? He says, I want to accept Jesus in my heart. He said, I couldn't live with myself if something happened to my daughters because of me. I got this dagger in the air and I'm looking at him and going. What? He says, bro, please, I want to pray. Right there on the side of 1604. I prayed with Rick Reels. I led him into a prayer. That was over six years ago. Rick Reels today is a pastor in Divine, Texas. That's the power of a conversion. See, I know, beloved, it's so easy to love people that love you, isn't it? Can you love your enemies? Can you believe God to touch your family? Can you believe God to touch people in your church? I hear so many stories about how people don't talk to people and I, and I can't help but think, you know what, the devil's in the middle of that. God could touch that person, radically convert them. I used to make fun of my mom all the time for telling me about Jesus. I'm so glad she didn't give up on me. Do you still believe that God is the God that touches the untouchable? Can God touch that person that you've already given up on? Because if we're not careful, we can say, ah, you know what, they deserve to go to hell. As if we didn't. I want to challenge you, amen, this morning as we bow our heads, amen, in the presence of God. I want to challenge you to believe God for conversions. People to get radically touched, converted by the power of God. There are people, beloved, that we've given up on.
I understand that religious people can get radically converted too. I mean, thank God for that. But you know what? There are sinners in this city, beloved, that so desperately need God. You don't have to go to New York to see people living in the streets. You can go to my old neighborhood here in the Las Palmas area. You'll see people in desperate need of God. And I want to challenge you this morning, beloved, because you don't know what the life of one person can do. I want to challenge you this morning to believe God for conversions. I wonder why you're in this place, amen. All heads are bowed. Christians are praying right now for visitors. You'd say, you know what, Pastor Roman, I don't know Jesus. I'm hooked on drugs. I've tried everything. I'm so desperate. I need a change in my life. I'm losing my marriage. I'm losing my work. I'm losing my mind. I want to experience what you experience. I'll tell you what, it begins with a simple prayer. June 13, 1995, I bowed my knee to Jesus. I stood before God, beloved, uh, and I had no one to blame anymore. I couldn't blame my parents. I couldn't blame anybody around me anymore. I was a grown man. I was 25. I had to answer for my own life now. But you know what? I'm so glad I made that decision. I want to challenge you, amen, this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you want to pray, you want to invite him in your heart, so you want to make heaven your home. I want you to do one thing. I want you to lift your hand up high where I can see it right now and say, I, I need prayer this morning, Pastor. I want to accept Jesus in my heart. Um, all, around this, all around this building, amen, you lift your hand up. Uh, you'd say, yes, that's me. I need prayer this morning. I need to accept Jesus in my heart. Uh, I want to say the prayer of salvation. This isn't joining our church. Um, this isn't signing a creed. This is simply getting your heart right before God. Uh, and all around this building this morning, you'd be honest with yourself and say, yes, that's me. I need to pray. I need to get my heart right with God. Lift it up high where I can see it uh, this morning. You'd say, yes, that's me. I need prayer, Pastor. Don't fight it this morning. The conviction of the Holy Ghost uh, is tugging at your heart right now. Would you lift your hand and say, yes, yes, God sees this hand. Amen. How many more? You'd be honest. I believe there are many here this morning. You need salvation. You join this honest heart and say, yes, that's me, Pastor. I need to pray. I want to be honest with myself and before God this morning. I want to pray. Would you lift your hand up? Lift it up where I could see it. Amen. This morning. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here this morning and you're backslidden. God sees that hand. Um, you're backslidden. You're far away from the will of God. Um, this morning you'd say, you know what? I need to get right before God. Um, I don't want to leave this place the same way that I walked in. Backslider, would you lift your hand? Um, lift it up high where I can see it and say, yes, I need to get right before God. Um, this morning all around this building amen before we change the order of the service you're not saved or you're backslidden would you lift your hand hallelujah hallelujah very well then i want to change the order of this service today i want the church to do two things i want you first of all as we come to this altar i want you to lift up somebody specifically whether it be one of your children whether it be your spouse, a friend, or a co-worker. The devil has told you, you know what, they're never going to get saved. They're lost. They're too hard. Uh, I want you to this morning, you're going to come and you're going to specifically pray for that person. We're going to believe God that they're going to get radically, radically converted. Um, and then I want you to believe God for yourself. You know what, our scripture says that dead bodies came out of the grave. 
You might be here this morning, beloved, uh, and your marriage uh, might be suffering. It might be dead. Jesus can resurrect it this morning. Your finances, your children are lost, beloved, uh, and you have no more hope uh, for them. This morning, I want you to bring that before God. Let's all stand to our feet. Um, amen. These altars are open, amen, for a time of prayer. I want you to come. Let's fill these altars. Amen. Uh, there are many visitors here today. You would gently deal with them. Uh, amen. And lead them to the altar. Let's believe God. Amen. For powerful conversions. Uh, for loved ones to get saved. Uh, for friends. Um, for, uh, you know what, lost children. Um, we need to always contend and believe God. Amen. That God uh, is always at work in our hearts. Uh, he's always able. Amen. To touch the untouchable this morning. Uh, let's come and let's fill these altars. Amen. This morning as we believe God. Amen. As we begin to worship uh, and sing a song. Amen. This this morning um, hallelujah father we love you